Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. The scripture today comes from Luke 1, 57 through 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, None of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. The word of God for the people of God. Those of you careful readers of the Thursday email may have noticed that the first paragraph this week cut off in the middle of a sentence. Anybody pick up on that? Two of you. Excellent. (laughs) I'll spend less time working on those paragraphs. (laughs) They're intended to be a primer for our time together, and so today I want to pick up quite literally where that paragraph left off. I had just asked you, when was the last time that you were amazed? And so I want you to think about that now. When was the last time that you were truly amazed? Like really to the point where you had no other words or no words at all unless you might be able to just say, wow. Sometimes I'm ashamed to say I I find myself saying, wow, a lot, and I'm a little bit afraid of that. It feels vulnerable to tell you that because as it comes out of my mouth, I worry, are they going to think this is the only word I know? <laughs> it makes me worry that you'll question my intelligence or at least my vocabulary. Wow. This week, there were a lot of moments of amazement, moments of awe and wonder, moments of wow. This week, it began really a week ago today, last Sunday, when some of you actually got up in response to the invitation, traveled across the sanctuary to give someone a hug and let them know how much their uh, connection had meant for you. There were other times recently uh, when we've acknowledged there was a different kind of spirit in this very room, when things happen that we didn't really plan for, but we can all feel it right? And all we can do is look at one another knowing that the Holy Spirit is certainly here. And so we say, wow. There was a moment last Sunday night, not even here, but across town when many had gathered for the cantata at Mamandi Concert Hall. And before the show really got going, the crowd stood to sing, Oh, come all ye faithful. Do you remember that moment if you were there? There was something transcendent about it. Being one small voice in a large choir of people standing to sing that song with the joy and hope of Christmas, it left me saying, Wow. 
There are big moments like that. And then there are also smaller moments that happen in smaller settings like living rooms and breakfast tables. When you share a story about your life, something that you don't share so openly or so freely with everyone, I'm privileged to hear many of those stories from you. And there are moments when we're together and we're talking and you share something and all of a sudden chills come over my body and all I can say is, wow, surely God is in the mix here. When was the last time that you were amazed. If I were to make a list of amazing moments, many of them would involve either some kind of art or some kind of nature, which you could say is also a form of art, right? The indescribable beauty of actors' voices singing the circle of life on Broadway while animals come in from every direction, it moves me to tears every single time. Wow. A Maya Angelou poem that somehow captures an otherwise inarticulable reality? Wow. The sheer magnitude of an elephant or a giraffe or a hippopotamus when you're standing there holding your child's hand at the North Carolina Zoo. Wow. The way a cloud hovers just beneath the peak of a mountain, or the way that steam rises off of a a warm lake when the first brisk air of the fall comes in. Wow. Each of these encounters and experiences reduces any contribution that I could possibly make to one little word. Wow. Though this short list of experiences comes from life's more extraordinary moments, things like vacations or camping trips or family outings, the truth is that wow moments are available all the time. Anne Lamott says that wows come in all shapes and sizes just like people do. There are times when we sink into something modest that delivers above and beyond. When you crawl in between clean, crisp sheets after a hard day, and you realize that you are saved. You feel like the best little sandwich ever, she writes, being taken care of from the top and the bottom with not a crumb or a lump or a wrinkle. Wow, you can't believe you felt so low and so lonely until you thought to change the the sheets. (laughs) A lowercase wow might be seeing a kid execute a dive at the town pool or coming upon a blanket of poppies in a field that was destroyed by grass fire last summer. These are lowercase wows, Lamott says. And then there are uppercase wows like Yosemite, fireworks, watching puppies being born, remembering the first time you were able to imagine the sheer size of dinosaurs. Maybe you were five or six years old trying to comprehend how a brontosaurus could have been 75 feet long. And then you were so curious that you went to the library and started reading books about dinosaurs and you found that just as they once walked upon the whole surface of the earth, then they were gone. These huge creatures that once roamed the earth and then they were gone. Wow. Sometimes these moments of both lowercase and uppercase wows feel so deeply personal that we could never even give voice to them. 
And then sometimes they're so wide that they're shared in our whole community. But the one thing that they have in common is that these moments of amazement, of awe and wonder, moments of sheer wow, they all remind us of how small we are and the scope and the scale of God's creation, God's divine imagination. We've spent the last three weeks just in the first chapter of Luke's gospel. And as we've been moving through these passages, I am beginning to feel like we plunged right into the deep end where wow is concerned. Have you been paying attention to what's happened? A litany of both uppercase and lowercase wows proceeds as a priestly couple is expecting their first child despite their old age. This priest and now expectant father, he comes down with a strange case of laryngitis, one that lasts approximately nine months. A miraculous conception is announced and carried in the body of a young unwed woman. Divine information comes via dreams and angels as God, who seems to be behind the scenes, directs the drama from one scene to the next. This story is filled with awe and wonder, wow, of the uppercase variety. Today's reading, still in the first chapter, does not disappoint. The time has come for the birth of John the Baptist. Of course, nobody knows him by that name yet. His parents would name him John a little later, and the Baptist part would come many, many, many years later, not related to the kind of Baptist that we are. It was customary for children, especially male children, to have family names. This wasn't just a trend that established or important families participated in, like some Southern families do today. No, the family name thing was pretty much expected in the ancient world. Remember, this was a world where lineage meant everything, from one's vocational destiny to their very place in society. So just imagine for yourself how important the name Zechariah was. We already know how significant the child was to Elizabeth and Zechariah. His birth removed all their disgrace, all their shame, not to mention attended to their personal grief that they bore for so long as they tried and tried and tried and prayed and prayed and hoped for a child. Now their dignity itself would be restored. So the logical and assumed next step, of course, would be to honor him with that family name. If not the name of his own father, then maybe like a favorite uncle or a favorite grandfather, somebody virtuous, somebody memorable, a name that would honor the long tradition of the family and cement their whole memory as a unit in the collective story of the people of Israel. The name the name of the presumed only child of Elizabeth and Zechariah, it really, really mattered, which is why it should have been a family name. But that's not what happens in today's story. Remember, this is a story of awe and wonder, not a story of predictability. The child that is born to Elizabeth is named John. Now, some might be startled by the fact that Elizabeth is the one in the text who names the child. Shouldn't that be the father's job? Well, yes, but she's not the first woman in scripture to name a child. Remember way, way back, Eve names her son Seth. 
And then after her, Rachel and Leah, they both name their children. So what is most unusual here is not that Elizabeth is the one who names the babe, but that she chose the name John. And the priests, the family, the friends, everyone who had gathered for the naming ceremony, they couldn't believe it. No, they said, none of your relatives have that name. We've really never even heard it before. And so they looked to Zechariah and asked him to suggest an alternative. But Zechariah scribbled on his little tablet, his name is John. And immediately, Luke says, as soon as he wrote the words, solidifying the name of the long-awaited child, Zechariah's mouth, remember, he had laryngitis for nine months. His mouth is opened. His tongue is set free. And this new father, priest, began to speak once again. Wow. All of a sudden, the personal experience of amazement and awe and wonder, the uppercase wow that Elizabeth and Zechariah shared all this time, now it became a public experience of awe and wonder. They were astonished, the text says, as it describes the reaction. But immediately... As soon as the crowd is astonished at what they've seen, immediately Luke tells us fear came over all the neighbors. Within just a few moments, the community gathered around these two new parents for this special, sacred, holy moment. They have witnessed a miracle, and the people move so quickly from amazement and astonishment, from awe and wonder to fear. Fear. It's the same word used in other places in the Gospels to describe what happens when strange things happen. Like when Jesus walks on water, fear. Or when Jesus heals the sick, fear. When Jesus casts out demons, fear. When Zechariah gets his voice back, fear. It's the kind of fear that comes when everything all of a sudden becomes uncertain. When everything we thought we knew is called into question. Fear, the kind of emotion that rattles us to our core. And it just so happens in this case and in our case that this kind of fear is the echo of surprise. Fear here is the echo of surprise. It's what happens next just after the wow almost as if we are willing to walk right up to the edge of wonder, to the edge of our imagination, to the edge of amazement, but not take one step further. Because the truth is that wonder and amazement and wow are really scary. These are vulnerable feelings. Vulnerable because when we are in awe, when we witness something that is completely unbelievable, when we gaze with wonder upon the largeness of a dinosaur skeleton and realize just how small we are in comparison, we begin to realize how little we can control. And once we begin to realize how little we can control, we also realize how quickly it can all be taken away. We begin to build up walls of protection, both physical and figurative, in hopes to secure the joy, the awe, the wonder that we might hold just for a minute. Brene Brown talks about this in an interview with Oprah. 
In a Super Soul Sunday conversation, she says the most terrifying emotion that we ever experience as human beings is, do you want to guess it? It's joy. The most terrifying emotion, says Brene Brown, who is an emotion researcher, the most terrifying emotion we ever experience is joy. Why joy, asks Oprah as soon as Brown says it. And she responds by saying, just think about it. What parent here hasn't had the experience of standing over your sleeping child? And you gaze upon them knowing that you love this tiny human more than you ever thought it was ever possible to love someone. And then in the next second, you're imagining all the horrible things that could happen to that child. Brene Brown calls this dress-rehearsing tragedy, and we all do it, whether it happens gazing into a crib or not. She goes on to describe another common experience. How many times she asks when things are going pretty well in life, everything's good at work, there's no crazy family drama that we're worrying about. Are we cherishing the joy and relishing it and sharing it around? No, we're holding on, holding our breath because we're waiting for something else to go wrong. We know how vulnerable joy is. But when we lose our tolerance for joy, for vulnerability, joy becomes foreboding. Did you hear that? It's a Brene Brown quote. You need to write it on your mirror. When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, joy becomes foreboding. When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, fear takes over and we give in to our dress rehearsals of tragedy we begin to operate as if those dress rehearsals were our actual reality, that they are not only a small, minuscule possibility, but instead they are a true probability. And so quickly, our joy is stolen by fear, moving us into survival mode where group thinking defines our very identity, where everything requires a fight or flight response, where the world is easily divided into us and them where everyone in every situation is simply reduced to black or white, right or wrong, yes or no. Those kinds of reactions are happening on large and small scales right now. In our personal lives and in our communal lives as the world changes rapidly and we continue to be amazed as we learn just how small we are, just how little we know and just how little we can control. And in the face of all this, it seems to me that fear is running rampant. Perhaps that's why we're so tired. Fear is running rampant. It's as if we have collectively walked right up to the edge of wonder and then run away, back towards certainty, afraid of what we have seen just with a glimpse. In the gospel, Luke doesn't spell it out, really, as the scene transitions from one to the next. So we are left wondering today, right there, at the edge of wonder. We have to wonder if anyone stayed around to see what happened next. After the neighbors went away talking about all that they had seen, you know, the miracle of Zechariah's voice coming back and the break from tradition with this name, John, we're all good church people here today, so 
We know how talk happens when something strange or out of the ordinary happens. You don't mess with tradition, right? But if anybody had the courage to stick around that day, if anyone had the courage to stay there with Elizabeth and Zechariah, not to run, but to take one more step in faith, perhaps, toward that wonderful new thing that was happening in the house that day, they would have heard Zechariah's beautiful song. And I bet they would have been gifted with yet another uppercase. Wow. You know, I wonder too with us, as we find ourselves there amongst the crowd gathered in Zechariah and Elizabeth's living room that day, if, if we were to just stay right at the edge of wonder, we might remember that this story isn't over. It's only beginning. We're just in chapter one. Wow. In this season of Advent, our theme has been, how does a weary world rejoice? You've heard us say it over and over and over again. And each week as we have come to look at scripture and explore the theme, we have been met with different answers to that question. How does a weary world rejoice? Well, we acknowledge our weariness. How does a weary world rejoice? We find joy and connection. We've got a joy wall outside that our young people have been managing after worship. Some of you have taken pictures or written down words to tell your story of finding the courage to rejoice despite all the weariness that we are feeling. The authors of this series were very intentional about their responses to the questions which inform our themes week after week. And this week's theme is especially intentional. How does a weary world rejoice? We allow ourselves to be amazed. Allow. Allow means we have to find the courage to accept the unknown. We have to create space within for something new to take root. We have to condition ourselves to move up to the edge of wonder and in faith, take one step more rather than turning around and retreating in fear. One of the authors of the series has written a poem, and as poetry so often does, I want to share it with you as an end to the sermon and as a call to faith that as we have the courage to go up to the edge of wonder, perhaps we might together find the courage to take one step more. So let's hear these words by poet and Reverend Sarah Speed. We could play hard and fast not let anything touch us at all. Keep composure, have all the answers. Or we could crack open ourselves and let everything in. We could feel everything, every touch, every marvel. We could stand gaping at the beauty of the world, mouths wide open, because sometimes a mouth wide open is the very best gratitude. We could laugh so loudly that the whole restaurant looks and err on the side of goofy whenever possible. We could put down our defenses. We could grow soft. We could choose awe. We could take her by the arm. We could let her lead us all the way to joy. May it be so. 
Amen.